0: Well, good morning. Um, glad to be with you folks this morning. Thank you for those of you that came this morning to just be here for Sunday School. Uh, for those of you that weren't here for Sunday School, I'll share with you kind of who we are and where we're, where we're from. Um, we are both from Iowa. Uh, we are missionaries with Continental Baptist Missions, and uh, we are church builders with Continental Baptist Missions. Um, Continental is based out of Rockford, Michigan, and our sole desire as a mission is to see church churches planted, and churches growing. And uh, our ministry with Continental is to see those church plants be able to have a a building that they can call their own and be able to better minister out of. And so to see healthy churches uh, through building a church physically, um, as well as while we're there, we help minister to them spiritually through different uh, ministry opportunities. Churches uh, are in need of uh, Bible studies that can be done or uh, witnessing opportunities, uh, children's ministries, different, different ways that we can be involved as, uh, as an assistant church planner while we're there building a building physically. Uh, this morning, uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles, though, as we get a chance to look at God's Word this morning, and turn your Bibles to uh, probably a familiar passage, at least for, for many of us, uh, as we were growing up, a fond memory of mine, uh, Exodus chapter 3. So uh, turn to your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, and we're going to read um, a handful of, tr- of verses this morning, so if you would just uh, bear with me, but uh, to get the full scope and context of this, this passage, we kind of read a-, a few verses here. So Exodus chapter 3, verses uh, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he fled- led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place for which you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to a place of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you, and you shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am have sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel The Lord God of your fathers the God of Abraham the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you This is my name forever and this is my memorial to all generations I'll Jump down a uh, few verses to chapter 4 Then Moses answered and said But suppose they shall not believe me or listen to my voice suppose they say the Lord has not sent, appeared to me So you so the Lord said to him what is it that in your it, well, sorry So the Lord said to him what is that in your hand and he said, A rod. And he said, Cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent, and Moses fled from it. Then the Lord said to Moses, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said to him, Now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like all his other flesh. Then it will be if they do not believe you hear nor heed the message of the first sign that they may believe the message of the latter sign. It shall be if they do not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry land. And the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry land. Then Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who has made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and you will be sorry, now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. But he said, O Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, is not Aaron the Levite, your brother? I know that he can speak well. And look, he is also coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. So he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be the mouth for you. And, for, and you shall be the mouth to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand for which you shall do these signs. All right. Let's open the word of uh, this message and the word of prayer and we'll jump into this. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. Father, I thank you for these folks and the, their willingness to be out here this morning to hear your word and be encouraged by it. And Father, I do pray that it would be a blessing to them. Father, I do pray that we'd also be challenged by it. Father, your word is, is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And Father, I pray that that would be the case for us this morning. Father, I do pray that you would just use me this morning. Father, help uh, just uh, gather my thoughts and congeal my thoughts so that they come across as uh, something that makes sense and that uh, folks can uh, be directed towards your word today. Father, just use me as a tool of yours to do that and just pray that your word would, would be uh, a wonderful uh, thing for us today that we can dwell on and meditate upon. Father, again, I thank you for this message and, and just the way that it's impacted my life. Father, I pray that it would impact others as well. and just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Moses. Uh, Fun, childhood, Sunday school memory of mine is learning about the story of Moses. We didn't read about how he grew up or how he uh, was found in the river by the princess of, of the uh, Pharaoh and how he grew up in, the, in Pharaoh's court. We missed that. We skipped that this morning for time reasons. And we jump right into after he's fled Egypt and has been uh, married to his wife and his father-in-law Jethro has a flock and he's been just basically taking care of sheep for the last 40-some years now. Um, let's look at this a little more detailed, okay? So verse 1, Moses is tending the flock of his father-in-law. He takes them out into the desert and is, is near this mountain of God, uh, the Ma- uh, Mount Horeb. And uh, the Lord decides, I want to get his attention. So he lights this bush on fire. And uh, this bush is burning. And Moses, you know, sees the bush. And at first, he probably just goes, oh, well, it's a bush on fire, you know. There's, it's a desert, it's dry, things catch fire, and they burn pretty quickly. But he notices after a very short amount of time that the bush is not being consumed. And so he desires and is curious enough to go investigate that. Uh, and as he approaches the bush, the Lord speaks to him uh, from the bush. And, and uh, we, we can see that in verse 4. But this morning, before we look into this a little more in depth, I want us to try to think in your minds, how do you visualize Moses in your mind? We read through the rest of the book of Exodus about what Moses did, how he goes to Pharaoh and he brings these, these miracles, these signs to Egypt and these plagues, and, and, and Egypt is just completely destroyed in a sense. Uh, through these plagues, and so much so that they just, they want Israel gone, they want them out of their sight. And then we read uh, later on in the book of Exodus and in, in a couple other uh, books of the Bible that how God leads them through the desert and, and how God uses Moses to lead them and brings about the, the Ten Commandments and, and that, whole, that whole process. We know that Moses wrote many of these books as well, these early books, uh, while he was out in the desert, and that's how the Pentateuch came about. And so, at least in my mind growing up, Moses was one of those type of guys that he was on a level way up here. I mean, he, he was quite the, quite the man of God. Um, even in the New Testament, we read about how many times the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, the godly men, uh, at least uh, in the eyes of the people of Israel, they viewed Moses as a very prominent person. You know, they talk about Moses' law. They, they, they refer to the Ten Commandments as Moses' law. It's not just the law of God. It's not just the, the law of, of the prophets. They refer to it as the law of Moses. And so Moses, at least in my mind, was this guy way up here. He's this high, high godly man. And it, he does get to that point. But this morning as we are going to look at it, Moses had some pretty interesting origins, very uh, uh, humbling origins, if you want to look at it that way. And so we read there that he sees this bush, he goes and approaches it, he wants to investigate it. Growing up for me, uh, I grew up on a farm, I have a brother and three sisters. And my brother and I, I think it's just a boy thing, but we... We tend to get in trouble, and we got in trouble quite often with fire. <laughs> we uh, I don't know if it's just the fascination of, of you throw stuff into this this object and it just consumes it and it's gone, and and then you get into some more uh, explosive-type things. So, you, you know, Dad wants you to burn a, a brush pile, and it's not enough just to light a fire, but it's fun to throw some diesel on it and see how fast it goes and that type of stuff. And so, you know, those types of things were were things that would happen in my younger, younger years, uh, mainly in my teenage years. I wasn't, my dad knew enough not to let us do things when we were a little, little with fire. But uh, fire was always fun, fascination of mine. And uh, in my mind, I always thought it would be really interesting and awesome to see, have seen the burning bush. Because, again, this is in the desert. And from my experience of burning brush piles, we would let those sit for quite a long time because you know they were green trees that we'd cut down that were in a fence line or, or around some outbuildings or whatever it was. And so those trees were really green and they didn't burn very well unless you <laughs> let them dry down first. And so when we finally would light those brush piles, they would go up really quick and it would be quite the fire. And so to have seen a dried out bush like this burning, an intense burning, but not gone, not burned up really quick. Those brush piles, once you lit them, they'd burn pretty quick and they'd be gone and, and it would be flame, you know, quite an expressive flame for quite a uh, short amount of time. And then you wouldn't have anything left. The fuel would be burned up. And so to see this bush would have been really neat to see, um, to imagine it. And I obviously it was enough to catch Moses' attention. But again, this morning, as we talk about Moses, I don't want you to approach verse 4 with this idea of, well, Moses is this wonderful, godly man of God and, and <laughs> prominent and, and amazing in, in, in the sight of God. When he, when he approaches him, he, and we read there at the end of verse 4, when God says, Moses, Moses, and Moses replies, here am I. I don't want you to think, Moses, of responding in this way like, here am I, Lord, ready to serve you. Don't think of it that way. Think of Moses and where he's been in his life. He grew up in a very prominent, uh, he was the the Pharaoh's adopted son, basically, Uh, the Pharaoh's daughter's adopted son. He grew up in the the court of of Pharaoh. So he would have seen a lot of impressive things in his his life, early life. He would have been very well educated. He would have learned all of the, the... of the sciences and mathematics and everything that the Egyptians would have had in their time, which they were a very advanced society at this time period. But he fled that life. He he ran from that life. He was afraid for his life. And he fled into the desert and found his his future wife and future father-in-law. And that was at the age of 40 that he fled Egypt. But this is many years later after he's been a part of that family he's had now with his father Jethro. And so he's about 80 years old now when this, this event takes place in his life. And that last 40 years have been a very, I don't want to say boring, but that's the only word that comes to mind compared to his past life prior to that. He's been taking care of sheep for the last 40 years. Um, I don't know what farm families that you folks are from or are familiar with sheep farming. Uh, my uncle raised sheep when I was a teenager. And so I have a little bit of understanding of sheep farming. Sheep are very, very, very boring creatures. Uh, other than the comical things that they do with their lives that they get in trouble with. But for Moses, he would have every day had his staff, brought the sheep out into the desert, and brought them to different places to, to range and to graze those sheep in the mountains, mountainous areas. And he would have just kind of would have led a somewhat of a boring life. You just you're gonna sit there, watch the sheep, make sure they aren't getting, you know, wandering off, making sure that predators aren't gonna eat them. That might have been the most exciting part of the day. And then you'd come home and you'd spend time with your wife, and that would be your day. Day in, day out, oh, day after day after day after day for 40 years. Uh, Not a lot is going on in his his life at this point. And so for him to see a bush that's burning, not being consumed, and then all of a sudden, this voice comes from it. And I don't want you to think of this little whispery voice of God. In my mind, I imagine this loud, humongous, booming thunderous voice. And I apologize, I have kind of a cold this morning. But uh, I'll try to do it some justice. Think of it like... Moses, you know, this really deep, loud, thundering voice. That's how I picture God reaching out to Moses from this burning bush. And so when he responds, here am I, I picture in my mind this really quiet, timid, reserved, here am I, like who is talking to me and and what what have I gotten into? Why have I approached this bush at this point? Afraid voice, okay? Verse 5. Then he said, do not draw near this place. Take off your sandals and your feet for the place in which you stand is holy ground. Furthermore, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And so at this point, Moses now has more understanding, more information. He knows that this is God, like the God of the universe, not just some you know, weird, strange voice talking to him. This is God of his fathers. This is the God that created everything. And he is afraid at this point. Moses hid his face for he's afraid to look upon God. He knew, he had an understanding that God was, that you needed to show reverence and respect to God. Verse uh, seven. The Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. And he goes into this explaining to, to Moses why he's talking with him. He's seen the oppression that the Egyptians have put upon the people of Israel. Moses was well aware of this. That's the reason he fled into the desert to begin with, because a taskmaster was whipping one of his his, his countrymen, his, his uh, uh, brother, uh, you know, a, a Hebrew. And so he actually is upset and disgusted by that. He kills the, the Egyptian. He buries him in the sand. And he's, he knows that that was a, a bad, wrong thing to do. And uh, his Hebrew brothers bring it up to him, and he's afraid for his life, and he flees. And so he's well aware of the oppression that they're facing in Egypt. And so God goes on to explain to him uh, there in verse 10, come now, therefore I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses responds, but, but Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? This is one of four other uh, times, actually, no, five other times that Moses makes an excuse to God. Uh, makes an excuse to God not to want to serve him. And this one's, these first couple are understandable. Uh, Moses wants some more information. He wants to know what he, the Lord is asking him to do. And so he asks him in a simple manner, who am I? You know, I've been watching sheep for the last 40 years. How can I go and and do this thing that you want me to bring the people of Israel out of Egypt? And so the God reassures him and says, surely I will be with you. I will be assigned to you when you come out of Egypt. You will worship me on this mountain. And so God reassures him. Second excuse, verse 13. Then Moses said to God, indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? He wants some proof. He doesn't want to just go to the, the, his Hebrew brothers and say, well, God's appeared to me. You know, he doesn't want to appear like this kind of crazy guy. He's been gone for 40 years, and then all of a sudden he saw the Lord in the desert. I mean, that kind of sounds a little strange. I mean, if you had somebody you knew uh, had gotten into some trouble, ran away, was out of your life for 40-some years, and then came back and was in the, he was in the desert all that time and said, hey, if the Lord has appeared to me. You... Kind do want to have some evidence of that so that you're not just some crazy guy coming back and telling them some things. So God explains to him, well, tell them that I am uh, has appeared to you. And we see that there in those verses 14 and 15. God goes on to explain to them, uh, tells him, tell them that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob has appeared and that his, my name will last forever. At the end of four, uh, 15. We didn't read it. God goes into basically explaining what he's going to do. He's going to bring them out of Egypt. He's going to bring them into a wonderful land of milk and honey. He's going to plunder the Egyptians there in the last part of 22. And then we picked up there in verse 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses again answers the Lord and says, but, but suppose they don't believe me or listen to my voice. Suppose they say the Lord has not appeared to me. Again, Another excuse, another, another hesitation to want to serve the Lord. And so the Lord, again, gives him some reassurance. He says to him, what is that in your hand? Moses is like, a rod? I mean, I kind of picture that in my mind. I don't think he would have been sarcastic about it. But you've got to remember, Moses has been carrying this rod to shepherd these sheep for the last 40 years. Now, I don't know if it's the original rod that he had at the very beginning. I mean, 40 years' time, I'm sure that wears on a a piece of wood after a while. But he would have been very familiar with that staff because he carries it with him every single day. And that's like his his tool. I mean, for me, I'm a, a church builder. I have a hammer that I use every single day. I know that there's certain nicks or certain things on that handle that have happened that... You know, it was damaged in a certain way. I know that I have a chip on one of the claws of my hammer because I used it one day to dig up something I shouldn't have used to dig up, and I chipped the corner of it. I know that because I'm very familiar with that hammer. I use it every single day. And so for God to ask Moses, well, what's that in your hand? Oh, that's a that's rod. You know, that's, that's like my walking stick, my, my tool of choice to shepherd these sheep. He would have known what that was. And so the Lord instructs him, throw it on the ground. So Moses is like, okay, well, whatever, Lord. I'll do what you ask me. You're the God of the universe. He throws it down, and it becomes a serpent. Serpent. It becomes a snake, and Moses flees from it. I love picturing this in my mind because Moses' staff was something he was very familiar with. And I'm sure there's times a he's dropped it accidentally. You know, he's leaning against a, uh, a boulder or, or leaning against the, the, the tent that they stayed in, and it maybe fell over. And, you know, no big deal. You pick it up. You carry on with today. But that particular time when it fell on the ground and it becomes a snake, that would be quite startling. But more than that, it's, it's fun to think of what that was, what that staff looked like. That staff wasn't some little tiny little stick, you know, or some little walking stick you know, maybe three foot tall. No, he used that to shepherd sheep. And so that staff would have been maybe six foot tall, seven foot tall. And most times, uh, a lot of shepherds, they had kind of a crook so that they could reach down off of a cliff or whatever and retrieve a, a sheep that had fallen or into a crevice or whatever. It would have been a very substantial piece of lumber, piece of wood, because he not only you know, guided sheep with it, with its length, but he also used it to defend the sheep from predators. And so it would have been used as like a club, and so you wanted something that was stout and solid, so that if you struck you know, a wild dog or, or whatever predator it was, you didn't want it just to break it on that, you know, that first impact. You wanted it to, to flex and be able to you know, put produce a, a, quite a blow on that, that predator. And so this staff would have been probably at least, at the minimum, an inch and a half around in diameter, if not more, maybe maybe two inches in diameter. You know, it may have even been a case where the, the part that Moses held on to maybe was more slender, but the ends of it and, and the bottom of it would have maybe been a larger diameter. And so this isn't just some little tiny stick that comes, it turns into a little gardener snake. This turned into a big old snake. I mean, seven foot long, thick old snake. Um, growing up in Iowa, we, we did a lot of hay uh, for our cows. And, and there was many a time that we'd roll up a bale of hay, and you would end up getting... A bull snake that had gotten rolled up in the hay bale and it would be flopping on the, the outside of the round, the round bale and it would just be laying there limp. But there were other times that we would be doing hay and you'd be raking hay and the, the snakes would actually slither their way out of the, the windrow and you would come across some pretty big bull snakes. And I'm, I picture, just because that's what I'm familiar with, that type of snake being the, the type of snake that he maybe fled from. Obviously, they didn't have bull snakes in, in uh, this region, but that's what I picture in my mind—a big, big snake. And Moses had had uh, uh, a good reason to flee from it. We read there in verse five that they believe uh, that you may believe that Lord God of your fathers. Sorry, uh, verse four. Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And so Moses reaches out his hands and catches it by the tail, and he picks it up, and it becomes a rod in his hand again. Growing up, my brother and I, not that we just play with fire, we also would play with the creatures out in the, in the fields. And uh, snakes were one of those, those creatures. We never played with bull snakes, we knew better than that. But we'd play with, you know, garter snakes and those types of things. But you learn pretty quick as a young boy where to grab a snake and where not to grab a snake. Um, you don't grab a snake by the tail because what's on the other end of the snake? Uh, the teeth and the head, and that's, they can turn right around and they can bite you. Um, and so I, I, I just love the details that the Lord has given us through this passage. Uh, the details of, well, he didn't just tell Moses to reach down and pick it up and it became a staff. He, we give, he's given us the detail that he tells them, I want you to reach down and not just grab it behind the head. I want you to reach down and grab it by the tail. I don't know, I, don't, I just maybe have a good imagination or something, but to picture that in my mind, Moses running away from the snake, you know, I don't know if he ran behind the boulder, or if he ran quite a distance, the Lord had, you know, boom his voice out to get him to come back, but he then instructs him to pick the snake up, and he doesn't just tell him to pick it up by the head, he tells him to pick it up by the tail. I mean, just in my mind, I picture Moses like very carefully, cautiously creeping up on this stick and hoping it's looking in every direction and then he grabs it by the tail. That's how I picture Moses picking this up. And I, I just love the detail that the Lord gives us in this, this story. But again, it, it becomes a staff in his hand. God then says, if they do not believe this sign, I have another for you. Place your hand in your bosom. Now, bosom is basically just like in your cloak, in your tunic, next to your your chest. Is what he's instructing him to do. He does that, he pulls it out, and it becomes leprous like snow. I I did a little bit of research to try to find some leprosy that kind of fit this description. And uh, I came across one that I think maybe was a possibility of what his leprosy was like. And I, I can't pronounce the scientific name. It's, it's just, you know, scientific names are all these lots of letters and hard to pronounce. So I won't try to pronounce it for you. But I'll try to describe it for you. Um, if you've ever gone fishing, and I know you're in Minnesota, I, 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 you're stereotypically labeled as great fisherman up here. Not all of you probably fish, but you've probably at some point either breaded uh, fish or breaded chicken before. And you've used probably some kind of an egg mixture to, to you know, put on that, that piece of meat. And then you dipped it either in uh, you know, flour or a cornmeal or some kind of, of batter of some kind. And as you have done that, many of you probably ladies have done it, that as you're working with that mixture and you're, you're breading those different pieces of meat, that, that egg type of... Uh, Of coating gets on your hands, and you get into the batter, and then your hands start getting coated just as much as the the meat that you're you're preparing as well. And as that kind of starts to dry out, it kind of starts to flake off, and it gets cracked, and and it kind of is kind of a peely looking kind of thing. That's the type of leprosy that I was able to find through my search of possibility of what the kind of leprosy that Moses might have had. We are just told, uh, given the detail, that it's like snow. Okay? So I looked for a leprosy that was white and flaky and, and kind of nasty. And so that's what Moses may have had. It was his flesh turned white and just started to kind of peel off and crack and flake off his hand. That's the kind of leprosy that he had. But imagine the horror that Moses had at this point with having leprosy. Because leprosy was not a curable disease then he would have had to been banished from his family, set out apart, joined maybe a leper colony, and then around other people that their body parts were dying and falling off of their bodies he would have been would have been a death sentence because he would have died from leprosy he would, wouldn 't get to see his his wife, his kids, his father in law how would he survive? you know what, what, people would sometimes bring uh, uh, care packages of, of foods and things to the lepers, and then would leave, and then the lepers would come in and they would eat, or whatever they would have. But his life was going to radically change by having leprosy. And that type of leprosy was, was a very advanced, fast spreading type of leprosy that his life would have been horrid after that. And so the, the fear and the trembling and the terror to have seen that when that happened. I just can't imagine what was going through his mind. And so when the Lord instructs him to put it back in his bosom again and to pull it back out and it's just like it was before. What a relief. That must have been for Moses. We read then that God tells him if they do not believe the first sign or the latter sign, I have one more for you. Verse nine, it shall be that if they do not believe you in these two signs, listen to your voice. Or, or listen to your voice. That you shall take the water from the river and pour it on the dry land, and it will become blood on the dry land. This is uh, the river being mentioned here is the Nile. God instructs him to pull water from the Nile, pour it onto the dry land, and it becomes blood. And that's kind of a weird thing for us. Like, I kind of understand the rod and the snake and the leprosy, and but what's up with the blood on the on the ground? And that doesn't, I don't understand that. Well, what you have to do is think about the context of the, the age in which Moses is living in. Egypt is, is a very, like, the, the largest prominent nation of its time right now, the most advanced nation of its time. They've, they've figured out how to embalm bodies uh, and, and preserve bodies. They, their medicines and things were the most advanced at the time. Their, uh, their culture, they've been able to cultivate fields by using the uh, irrigation systems that they've developed to be able to, to nourish their fields to, for their farming needs. And so for all of these different signs, each one of them impacts the Egyptians. The first one, the Egyptians held <laughs> snake trimmers in a, a high esteem. They were sorcerers that could manipulate snakes, and they, they were ones that were kind of like used as counselors to the pharaoh, and they would ask them advice, and there would be advice given, and, and uh, those that could control snakes were, were held in high, high esteem, high regard. And so for Moses to be able to take a staff, a wooden staff, and turn it to a snake and control it and then pick it up and become a staff again put him in that high prominence of, of, in the eyes of the Egyptians. Also, the, the leprosy, of all the advancements that the Egyptians have had in their, in their health care and their, their science of, of, of the body, they have not been able to crack into the way to, to save people that have leprosy, to cure leprosy. All the embalming and the bombs and the and the different things that they've been able to produce by mixing herbs and things together, they still not, were not able to cure leprosy. And so for Moses to be able to have leprosy of that sort and then have it cured, just again put him one notch further up in the eyes of the Egyptians. And then finally, the river water. The Nile was the source of life for the Egyptians. Their, their water irrigation, the water to drink in the desert region was from the Nile. They used it for transportation. They used it for their commerce to trade with other nations. And so for the Egyptians, their whole culture revolved around the Nile River. Even their, their spiritual beliefs and their religion was based on that as well. All of their gods that they had were, were creatures from the Nile. Uh, the fish, the frogs, the, the crocodiles, and all those different things. And so for Moses to be able to take that water, that life-giving source of water, and turn it to blood, that was, that was a scary thought for the Egyptians, because nothing can live in blood. Fish would die. crocodiles would die. The, all those different gods that they worshipped, all would, would have died. And they wouldn't have been able to supply their needs for the crops. It w- you know, they, they could still probably transport goods and things through it, but how nasty would that be to? To row and, and oar and your ships would all be covered in that nasty uh, you know, blood and it would smell awful after a while. It Just, ugh, nasty. But again, it just put Moses that much higher in their, their eyes and their understanding that, hey, this isn't just some random guy from the desert. This is someone that has a lot of power and is representing someone very, very, very important. And we, we understand that those plagues that follow, again, just reaffirms that again. And so, by God giving him all these different signs and abilities, you would think, in Moses' mind, I got this in the bag. You know, this isn't going to be hard at all. I have all these. I mean, two days ago, I wasn't able to turn a single thing to, you know, anything of prominence. I've been watching sheep. Now I have the ability to. Turn my staff into a snake. I have leprosy that can disappear. I can turn water into, into, uh, into blood. And God's going to use me in this way. shouldn't be a problem. But what, how does Moses respond? Verse, tw- verse 10. And Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, neither before nor since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. So the Lord said to him, Who has made the mouth, who has made the mute, the deaf, the seeing, and the blind? Have not I the Lord? Go therefore and I will be with you, your mouth, and I will teach you what you shall say. Verse 13, but he said, O Lord, please, please send by the hand of whom else you may send. Moses is desperate at this point. He's tried to kind of get out of this this mission that the Lord is giving him already, but he's... He's gotten to the point now that he's desperate enough that he's like, I'm going to make up a reason not to serve the Lord. Lord, I can't speak. Please don't take me. Please don't use me. I can't speak very well. And the Lord says, no, I can take care of that. I can teach you how to speak. I'm in control of the deaf, the seeing, and the blind. Don't worry about that. 13, Moses finally just breaks down and instead of beating around the bush, literally, he says, Lord, please pick somebody else. I can't do this. I can't serve you in this way. Pick someone else. So finally, the Lord is upset with him and his anger kindles against Moses and he says, I know that your brother Aaron can speak. I will send him to you and I will help, him help you speak for me. And so we see what happens there that the Lord calls him to serve him. This morning, are there times in our lives that the Lord knocks on our door, knocks on our life, and asks us to serve him in some way, shape, or form, or capacity. And how do we respond? Uh, You know, Jim, today, I'm really feeling under the weather, and I'm not going to be able to teach Sunday school today. You know, could you fill in for me and teach Sunday school for me today? I can't do that. Ah, well, you know, I... I've never really taught Sunday school before and I don't know if I can do that and I don't speak so good in front of people and I haven't really studied that well and I don't know if I can do that. You know, pick somebody else. Please, please pick someone else to do that. Or, you know, Jane, I, I, I really need some help in the nursery. The nursery's kind of getting a little crazy. You got a lot of little little ones and, you know, a little Johnny, he's quite the handful and he really distracts all the other kids and I don't know if I can, you know... I don't know if we can handle that. Could you help me with that? Well, you know, I really don't want to miss the church service, and I really want to hear the singing this morning, and, you know, I don't know if I can, if, I'm, if I work so well with little kids, you know, I don't know if I can do that. You know, we we make ex- excuses. But this morning, I want you to understand, just like Moses had all of these different signs and wonders and abilities that god had given him god has given us likewise he's given us the abilities he's given us gifts that we can use to help serve him and we have tools that moses didn't even have moses he had to hear a direct word from god spoken to him to be able to understand what he wanted but we have god's word written out completed for us in our language and every we know the story from the beginning to the end and we know how it ends. What a wonderful, amazing tool that we have to serve him with. And, and on top of that, Moses had Aaron. And Aaron, we saw what Aaron did. He led the people astray. He, he had, they had him build a golden calf that they worshiped out underneath the mountain and look at the trouble that that led the people into. We have a much much better helper than the Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit dwells within us and we can serve him through that power that he gives us. And so what better abilities do we have to serve him? Again, this morning, I want to have us think on this last thought. God instructs Moses at the last part of chapter four or the last part of the, the passage we read Verse 15, now you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and I will teach you what you shall do. God doesn't care if you don't know how. God doesn't care if you don't feel the ability to do that ministry. God just wants you to be willing to serve him. And he Will teach you what you need to know and what you need to do to serve Him. When I first started our ministry with CBM and I talked with my pastor about it, I told him, I, I can't serve the Lord in that capacity that, that, I, that He's calling me to. Because in my mind, a missionary was just a pastor some other place. And I didn't feel like I could get up and speak from God's Word and preach to somebody and, and share God's Word in some way. And I'm not very polished still, but if you had listened to my first couple sermons, you would be done by now. (laughs) Because my first sermon lasted 15 minutes, and I was done. And I, I had to rehash what I said several times to get that far. But through the years of ministering, the Lord has used me and taught me how to better serve Him and how to better speak for Him. And it's amazing, looking back on my life, how the Lord has used me. And so for you today... Are there times in your life the Lord has knocked on your door to serve him? How have you responded? Have you obediently taken up that call? Have you obediently taken that time to serve him? And he's taught you how to better serve him? Or have you made excuses like Moses? And made excuses like Moses? And made excuses like Moses? And maybe you still are making excuses and are still fighting the Lord. So I encourage you this morning, don't fight the Lord. He'll eventually find you and and convince you that he is the one to serve. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, this point of application, there's other points of application, obviously from this passage that we can pull out. But Father, as we think on just this one point this morning of serving you obediently, Father, are we doing that? Father, it's not enough just to obey you and serve you obediently once. There's many times in Moses' life that he was called upon to serve you in different capacities. Father, I pray that for us in our lives, there are times that you call upon us to obey you and serve you in different capacities as well. Father, I pray that we would not make excuses. We would take uh, the example of Moses and, and see how to not respond and see that we should respond in the correct manner. Father, I, I love that you've chosen to use us, uh, tools of yours. Father, God could have used many other miracles and signs and he could have just directly spoken to Pharaoh and forced Pharaoh to, to re- release the people of Israel, but yet, Father, you chose to use Moses to serve you. Father, that's true, true in our lives. You call us to serve you and and to use use us, sinful, fallen people, and yet we can serve you in this capacity. Father, I do pray that you would just be with us today, be with us as we go about our rest of this week. Help us to meditate on these things and think about how we can better serve you and, and to not make excuses. And just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.